Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you for joining me today. All right, first off, I have to apologize. I got way behind this week and didn't realize that today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the United States. So first off, wish everyone a happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's an awesome day. However, I did not realize that that day would be today before I got my podcast done and I realized too late to pivot in time. So I am sincerely sorry and I will circle back to make sure that I do a podcast highlighting Martin Luther King Jr. in February during Black History Month because that is definitely a thing that I want to do. I'm looking forward to that and I think though I can tie him in to today's podcast because he was definitely a light that stood out in dark times and shined, shone, showed, showed the way forward for important progress, and he did it bravely, fiercely, and with a lot of love. He was indeed a light. This totally ties in, I promise. So, we'll wait until next month, and in the meantime, let's light the sucker up. Do you love my puns? As a child, I was convinced that the best way to warm up the tip of one's nose was with candle wax. From everything I had seen from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know the claymation like stop-motion one that ran on TV created by Romer and Nagashima? Well, based on that treasure trove of a classic, and it is, I learned that one only needed to cover Rudolph's nose in what I assumed was wax for him to become socially acceptable. Until the moral of the story kicked in, of course, and you know, we loved Rudolph for being Rudolph. And so I thought if it worked for a reindeer, then it would definitely work for people. I would sometimes dip my fingertips in melted wax for the sheer pleasure slash terror of messing with candles, but I never went so far as to actually try it out on my own nose. To this day, though, I'm still convinced that it might work. Candles were a staple in our home growing up, less out of necessity, more out of creating kind of mood and atmosphere, thankfully. One way or another, that mood sets for storytelling, for cozy moments, and for some fond memories. So let's take a moment to talk about that thing that lights our darkest nights, the one and only candle candles have been around for some 5,000 years, and we're not actually entirely sure how all of this came together. Typically, people associate the first candles with ancient Egyptians, who would dip the pith of reeds into animal fat and light it on fire for torches. And while this certainly was an excellent source of light, it didn't technically count as a candle. Apparently, to make something a candle, it needed to have a wick. And that didn't come around for the Egyptians until 3,000 years ago, about 2,000 years after the torch. When it comes to wicked candles, Romans get most of the credit. They would roll up papyrus and dip it in melted beeswax or tallow, and then use them to light their homes, their travels, all sorts of things, including their religious and sacred ceremonies. In Han, China, in around 200 BC, we find the earliest surviving example of candles, which were made from whale fat. Waxes could come from insects or plants. In China, early uses of candles included the use of rice paper for wicks and insects made for the beeswax of the body of the candle. The wax was combined with seeds. In Japan, the candle wax came from tree nuts, while in India, they made wax by boiling the fruit of cinnamon trees. In the Middle Ages in the West, they used more tallow, which is a wax from animal fat. Eventually, beeswax was introduced into Europe. Apparently, beeswax candles smelled a lot better and were considered an improvement. One of the main differences was that tallow burns with a darker smoke, whereas beeswax does not. By the 13th century, in England and France, candle makers had even formed a guild, and they were known as chandlers. 
Chandlers, Chandlers, C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R-S, in case you were wondering. These candle makers would go from house to house, or more specifically, from kitchen to kitchen, in order to gather the fats needed for their craft, basically in order to gather what they needed to make the wax. In America, early colonists learned that they could boil bayberries and produce a wax that smelled better. Apparently, however, it was a very boring process, so soon bayberry candles went out of style. Just could not handle the boredom. In the 18th century, people turned toward whales for a source of candle making, specifically the spermaceti created by sperm whales. Well, it was created from the oil from the sperm whales, that is. And as we already said, in China, they had already been using whale for a very long time for their candles. What was special about the spermaceti candles was that they burned brighter than tallow or beeswax candles, and they didn't smell as badly as tallow, which was a plus, and they were also firmer. This meant that they were unlikely to bend or melt in the summer heat. About this time, other oils also became useful in candle making, such as colza oil and rapeseed oil. Then enter the 19th century, where we have a French chemist to thank for the discovery of the process of extracting stearic acid from animal fatty acids. His name is Michel Eugène Chevreul, and he made way for the development of stearine wax candles, which are still popular in Europe. In 1834, an Englishman from Manchester named Joseph Morgan was key in developing the mechanical production of candles, and he patented his machine. His machine could produce 1,500 candles an hour. Compare that to hand-dipped candles. It was a significant improvement. Around this time, candlemakers made a few changes to wicks as well. Initially, one would need to trim the wick as the candle burned. You'd have to cut it. There were special scissors for this. However, as candle makers started to go from simply twisting the cotton wicks together to braiding the wicks, this created a self-trimming wick. Because these braided wicks would curl over on themselves a bit as they burned, the excess wick would burn away and there was no more need to trim the wick. The way the wick is made and its size determines how long a candle burns and how large the flame is. In order for a candle to continuously burn, this happens through capillary action, which occurs when the liquefied wax or fuel is drawn up the wick and into the flame, where it vaporizes and starts to burn again. This keeps the candle burning. So why do some candles lose wax over the sides, and why do we have dripping candles? Well, this happens when the capillarity is too great. Capillarity means that it's pulling too much wax up the wick. That's that process. Paraffin wax, which burned the cleanest, brightly, and without odor, was the easiest to produce and came around in the 1850s, and it was developed by James Young in Scotland. Initially, it had a low melting point, which would have made it difficult for summer or hot weather candle use, but this was later resolved by adding stearic acid, thanks again to our French friend, Monsieur Chevreul. By 1879, we hit the light bulb, and candles became less popular, until the early 20th century when the United States had excessive ingredients for candles because of the meat packing industry. Who'd have thunk? By the time we hit the 19th century, the largest candle manufacturer in the world, however, was actually found in London. Price Candles. That was the big name in the candle-making world. In the 1980s, candles got a second, or third, maybe at this point, wind, as they began to be considered mood setters, or good gifts. In the 1990s, candles really took off, leading to creations of new waxes, something that hadn't been done since the 1800s. One of these was soybean wax. In other parts of the world, people were developing palm wax candles as well. 
A 2013 study estimated that in the United States, the candle industry brought in $3.14 billion annually. And the creation of all those candles, it takes about 1 billion pounds of wax each year in the United States alone. Until the 20th century, oil lamps were more popular than candles in Southern Europe and the Mediterranean. Candles have had many uses over the centuries. Although primarily they have been used to illuminate the darkness, they have also played key roles in religious ceremonies and festivals and also in timekeeping. In the Song Dynasty in China, candles would be marked at the hour and would be used as a means of keeping track of time. These were candle clocks. You could watch the candle, which would burn at an even rate, and see when it hit the mark to keep track of the time. By the 18th century, people got even more creative and started putting weights into the candle itself so that by the time you burned to a certain point in the candle, the weights would drop, making a sound and alerting you to the time. For some religious purposes, one example is the advent candles. Advent candles can be done a couple of ways. Typically, they are marked with a number of days leading up until Christmas and will burn until then. In Germany, there are four advent candles placed in a wreath. One is lit for each week leading up until Christmas. Advent candles got their start in Germany when children put candles in oranges to celebrate the special day. So how effective are candles for light, since this was one of their main functions in the past? A modern candle made with paraffin wax is roughly 100 times dimmer than an incandescent light bulb. The flame of a candle at its hottest point, just above the dull blue of the flame at the base, burns at about 1400 degrees Celsius or 2550 degrees Fahrenheit. Don't touch that. The blue coloring of the flame happens due to chemiluminescence, which is typically quite a small part of the flame. The yellow flame comes from soot particles, or rather the radiative emissions from soot particles. While they are pretty, set the mood nicely, and also smell fantastic, or awful, I mean it's a hit and miss sometimes, you'll still want to be careful around candles. The National Fire Protection Association reports that in the United States, candles are one of the leading sources of residential fires. So be careful when you're enjoying your candlelight, or your 100 candles if you are trying to light up your room as much as one light bulb would. If you've ever seen candlesticks or other types of candle holders, you've probably seen the ring that sometimes goes around the base of the candle. Well, I can now tell you its name. It is called a bobache, not a bobafet, a bobache. <laughs> so now you know. Now you can keep in mind aglets are the things at the ends of shoelaces and bobaches are the things at the base of candles. So let's talk about a few other uses for candles. As we already mentioned, there are many religious uses for candles, for ceremonies and other symbolic purposes. The Greeks would light candles to honor gods or goddesses. And just to name a few more, candles are an important part of Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, and many others. Vautive candles, or prayer candles, are important in a number of Christian religions, particularly in Anglican, Lutheran, and Roman Catholic denominations. These prayer candles are small and usually made from a white or yellow beeswax. The candles are lit for prayers or as a means to offer a prayer. Different denominations use the candles slightly differently. They can be used to offer prayers for the deceased, ask for saintly intercession, or as a representation of entering into a vow or a promise with God. During Hanukkah, the menorah is the center of the celebration. The candelabra holds nine candles, eight to represent each of the days the menorah burned, and the ninth candle to help light the other candles. In the second century, the Greeks were in rule and had outlawed the practice of Judaism. The Greek king had gone so far as to defile the temple, 
Around this time, the Maccabees rebelled, and a miracle occurred. The menorah in the temple did not have enough oil to continue to burn until the next supply came. It only had one day left of oil, but miraculously, the oil lasted eight days until the new oil could come. Candles are also an important part of festivals of lights all over the world in many different religions, from Diwali, which is an important Hinduism, Sikhism, and Jainism, to the Daozong Dying Festival, which is important in Buddhism, and many more celebrations. Candles are also important in a number of religions. As we've already mentioned a few Christian religions, they are also placed before Buddhist shrines, along with incense and flowers to show respect for Buddha, and the candles are lit to represent the light of Buddha's teaching. Candles also play an important part in the celebration of Kwanzaa. A kanara is used to hold seven candles during Kwanzaa. There are three red candles, one black candle, and three green candles. The red candles represent African-American struggles. The single black candle represents the African-American people. And the green candles symbolize the hopes of the African-American people. And there are many, many more religions in which candles play an important symbolic role. Another important role of the candle, although it may not be religious, is the birthday candle. We might actually have to come back and do an episode on the birthday candle itself because this one has a very interesting history that includes Greeks and cakes for gods and goddesses. For now, we'll pause here. We all need a little bit more light in our worlds, especially when things feel dark around us in more ways than one. And hopefully this week's episode can help us all remember that there will always be light to penetrate the darkness and that we can light our own candles, as it were, to help shine light on the good things for others. So go, be a light. You're awesome. You have wonderful and good things to contribute and share, and it can help so many. And that's the truth. (laughs) So that's it for me this week. Thank you for listening. Hope you all have a most excellent day. Take care.